taking the immense field of um, Christian parenting and putting it into a few uh, times together a weekend. Uh, this is how I thought we would do it. I'm going to begin tonight talking about what we mean when we say that our children are our children of the Lord, or that they are covenant children. We're going to jump right into the theology of uh, uh, the covenant. And tomorrow morning, in the two sessions we'll have then, I'll look at what I'm going to call the two hands of parenting. Discipline of the Lord and instruction of the Lord. Uh, that's what we'll look at in the morning. And then some of you are going to take the theme forward and you can see your religion perhaps or will. We'll see what I'm going to do uh, for that time. So here's a question tonight, my friends. Uh, what is the practical value of being Presbyterian parents? Another way of asking. Is there anything distinctive about Presbyterian parenting? You probably know where I'm going to be going with this. As Presbyterians, we're accustomed to recognizing a certain difference in our theology from, say, our Baptist brothers in terms of uh, what we call covenant children in the church in our home. Think of, we speak of uh, our work as a ministry of parents to kids of the covenant, children of the covenant. Uh, and I'm going to ask the question of uh, what do we mean by that? What should we mean by that? How does being Presbyterian actually affect our parenting? Uh, all sincere Christians have a certain commitment to. Introducing their children to the Lord Jesus and equipping them to serve Jesus. And I say those are the two fundamentals of Christian parenting that all Christians of all traditions are committed to. Praise God. But as Christians, we have this kind of theology we want to see what is the practical street value of our theology for our parenting. Uh, not that we try this evening to be uh, partisan and suggest to you that Presbyterians are always the best parents. I actually know better than that. Uh, you know this. We are sometimes better than our theology and sometimes we're worse than our theology. Right? So I would not for a moment be able to say that we Presbyterians are more of our parenting. But I do want to say there are certain truths into the covenant and it's including our children, which is of course why we have inside of that. There are certain aspects of those truths that are quite critical to our job as parents. We'll look with you in the next few minutes uh, at how that's done. What does it mean when we talk about children being covenant children? Uh, we're going to take a crash course in covenant theology. And we are going to then take what we learned in that crash course and reflect together on what that means for how we view our children and treat our children. So uh, I'm going to have uh, Nathan's five points of covenant theology. 
uh, now you see what my students have to put up with, with my handwriting. Five months of chronology, we're going to look at those. And yet, I find the best way to convey in a short space of time chronology is my drawings. So I also have a diagram to walk with you. And you can turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. And we're going to look at a clear passage and how it opens up what you're going to see the common features of all covenants in the Bible. And we're going to be particularly thinking about how this relates to God establishing a relationship with, okay, Father Abraham. That's who's in Genesis 17. But I'm putting a Imagine a little boy, a very simple city, whose name Abraham and his parents called him Abe. And I want you to think, I want you to toggle in your mind, because what we're learning from Genesis 17 about God's relationship to Abraham, of being Abraham, and how it has direct implications for his relationship to this day, to the children of this church. Your children and maybe or toddler age. All right, we're done that. We go to five points of Genesis 17 begins. I think my notes for the ESV should be quite similar to what you have in that. Genesis 17 begins when Abram was 99 years old. The Lord. So, uh, common theologians like to talk about 
God, sometimes we'll say, unilaterally establishing a relationship with sinful men. That is, it's his idea, it's his initiative. Covenant begins by God reaching out to us. Abram's land is the word of the Abram, and sent it. And then Abram is just on you. Back to the earlier Genesis. Earlier Genesis. He's just being a good thing. And God shows up. This is how I have a relationship. How do we figure out who they for a moment? How would God use your son? How would he have brought that little boy into relationship with himself? What are the providential circumstances that you Yes! He placed that child in your home. That is him. He chose that child, Louis, to be your son. And that is how this all starts. God establishing a relationship by placing that person in your home. That son, uh, five points, uh, five points, that's number one. Covenant is relationship established by God, initiated by God, in grace. Here's number two. In a relationship, God binds himself and his people by means of his word. Alright, when I use the word binds, I am being very intentional here. A uh, covenant relationship is a formal relationship, it's one that Uh, so there's responsibilities on the part of both parties. That's what we mean by covenant. That's why a marriage relationship is a covenant relationship. And the relationship I had with the lady who cuts my hair is not a covenant relationship. And, well, I suppose you said once she cut my hair, I am obligated to pay her. But other than that, there's no obligation. I, I just disappear. I over nothing. Not so with this lady. A covenant relationship is one which both parties are bound to each other. Now how does God go about finding Abraham to himself? Well, look at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. What's up there?
a couple of possible responses that A could make to this covenant word that he's received the promise of man. There's a couple of possible responses that the original A could show as well. And so that explains how God goes on to speak of him or speak to him. Um, God suddenly establishes a relationship with us in the covenant. But he's after a certain kind of response. He wants us to respond to his promises and to respond to his commands. And if we look uh, at the text, what is the ABCs. What is the right response when God says, I promise? What's the right response of your heart? You do the promise. Uh, Genesis 15, if you want, this shows you where Abraham becomes so famous for that response. In Genesis 15, look at verse 5, you know it very well. They brought outside and said, Look out for us, have the countless stars created in heaven. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be to the same lot of God as the name of God. And he will reach the Lord. He and the Lord counted it to him for once. You know, that takes a lot of air time to do that something. All for sad. And the God does the name So the right response to a promise is to And what's the right response to a commandment? Okay. To obey. Or if you will, to trust and obey. That's the response that God is seeking for Abraham. By the way, Abraham is famous for his faith, but he can be just as famous for obedience. Right? The first thing God says to him is, Abraham wants you to move a long way away. Don't worry, I'll show you. Leave your camp. Leave everybody you know. And move. Uh, God says to Abram, I want you to sacrifice your miracle. And he does. At least demonstrate a willingness to go to the That's what he means. But for that matter, in Genesis 17, he tells Abram, I want a sign. Of both what I promise and what I command, I want you to circumcise yourself and your sons. Not a small act of obedience So he is responding exactly this way, and God, oh, getting over to myself, ignore that for a moment. That's the response that God wants. Okay? And we Does everyone in the covenant of God? Believe his promises. Obey his commands. He put it to you this way. Does everyone of Abraham's descendants who's born in the population of God believe his promises? Obey his commands. 
There's another kind of response that is possible. I'm going to abbreviate. Unbelief and disobedience is, well, that's a whole other possibility, isn't it? Um, those who are bound by God by His commands and who He binds Himself to by the promise, they have to respond to Him and obedience. That's the kind of response that he's calling for. But this is also a possibility. And parents are particularly mindful of this, aren't they? Parents know that it's not enough just to be born in a Christian home to go to heaven. You speak the words of life to your children. And you uphold it in your home. We'll talk about that in more. But what you're praying is that they will respond to God individually, personally, with faith and obedience. And that will be a lifelong pattern. You know that some who are born in Christian homes and part of Christian churches respond to God. So, point number three, five points, there are these two possible human responses to being a of God. And in Genesis 17, he actually is uh, already aware of this. Not, what are you going to say? He's already making this known to Abram that he's aware of kind of the this being he says. Uh, in verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his fortune shall be cut off from his people. And he's broken my covenant. Do you hear that? Broken my covenant. Uh, this is the covenant keeping response. This is the covenant breaking and parents of aid recognize the great responsibility that they have to be God's means of calling their children to be part of Jesus. Because the stakes are very, very high. Uh, number four, where I was getting out ahead of myself, is that the God who makes covenant with sinners by means of commands and promises, who is seeking this kind of response, waits to bless both in this life and life to come. That's the ultimate outcome of being a cup of God when there is faith and obedience. It's blessing. God speaks that lesson in chapter 17 from verse 4 on. You know the promises that he gives to Abraham. Uh, and they, through the history of redemption, they become clearer. The promises become clearer and clearer. Uh, you are going to inherit a land here. Uh, then it becomes, we have to hear the inherit the earth. Things you say, the promises get bigger and clearer as the blessings become more immense as the Lord and the Lord 
from Genesis 18, the next chapter over. Uh, we overhear God talking about Abraham. Verse 19 says, For I have chosen him that he might command his children, his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may As for vision carrying, uh, entered in uh, with uh, if you will. Uh, this is why God carrying has such a lot of role in this thing that we call covenant. Uh, we're not just keeping covenant by ourselves, with men and women, trusting and obeying all our days, but we're seeking to cultivate that very same thing uh, in our children. Uh, I should probably give credit where it's due. Um, this is a diagram that I draw for folks at Resurrection and for folks at the Great Friars class at the County teach every chance I just draw up through this one, the 11th grade ethics. Because ethics is all about studying this part of God's Word. But I wanted to present it in the larger context. The Bible is not just full of man, it's also full of promises. And uh, so I had to another excuse to draw this. I saw this in the board for the first time uh, as a student under a particular person at Westminster Seminary as he was teaching us a class on the sacraments. And of course, not about sacraments, not about And folks, at the time, uh, I was an insecure paleobatist. I was a Presbyterian. Who was wobbling. I had some really good and godly Baptist influence in my life, which I still get thanks to Lord for. And I knew there were different paradigms, even different understandings of confidentiality, that were in play between my Reformed Baptists and my Reformed Presbyterian And when Dr. Curtis had put this on the board, I, not immediately, and it's so thin, I began to say, I think that diagram, you get a lot of That diagram, you know, sums up the Bible. What the Bible is doing. The Bible is God coming to us with commandments and promises in order to have a relationship with us. We call it a covenant. And the Bible is full of encouragement to us. Trust Him. Obey His commandments, and He will bless your socks off. In so many words. And the Bible is also full of this good skin. Stop on the other side. You want to be glad. You do not want to doubt that. You don't want to Because here's the thing. If He singles you out, if you're a, He singles you out. <coughs> For the blessing of being a cup of him, that can work two ways. Being covered with God is the door to heaven. It's also the door to the hottest part of heaven. Is that what you can see in us? Oh, there'll be more tolerable today than the Sodom and Then for you, talking to the Jewish leaders of the world, you who are members of the covenant, 
had the Christ himself dedicated. So, um, before I turn the corner entirely looking at our practical and how we think we talk to our kids, um, if there's any insecurities in the room, like I was before Dr. Curzon got a hold of me, let me just point out that a lot of the misunderstanding we're talking past each other, the Baptists and Presbyterian too, uh, is that Baptists are brothers uh, who don't see our children as including those of covenant. They tend to equate being a covenant God being saved. If they use the language of covenant at all, some Baptists don't a lot, but if they do, use the word the concept of covenant much at all, they tend to think about it as equivalent to being in a saving relationship with God. Is that what Dr. Ferguson tells us? If he's right, and if this is a faithful representation of God's covenant in our and then all throughout time, if there's these two parts, and if there's a covenant keeping and a covenant breaking, if the covenant can lead to blessing or judgment, then you see, being covenant of God is not the same as being saved. Being covenant of God is the way God loves to bring sinners into a saving relationship. Here's where Christianity is so important. He uses us, why is not sure, to win their hearts and move them into faith. So that's why we are so interested in this subject. Now I'm going to uh, turn to the second half of our evening to talk about what the difference is For comments. Where's my accounting professor in college is saying, of course I know. She's wrong with the other kind of analysis. We're not with the science. But she's comments. I was just a little confused for those defending potential. Did you say the differences between difference? It, it, yes, but more particularly, whether your response by His grace is to trust Him in that. Uh, if your response to His mercy and grace in covenant, commandments and promises, binding Himself to you and reaching Him, is to believe in faith, then salvation is the outcome of the of being a covenant with Him. This is the covenant that the scripture speaks of as our calling. It's the key covenant of God. Uh, this is the covenant breaking that we're
both sides of this in terms of my actual Because I do doubt God. And I do disobey. So what hope is there for me? The response about unbelief and disobedience is judgment. What hope is there? Well, here's some good news. There is a, there is a person who's taken to himself all the judgment you deserve. As a result of your unbelief and disobedience. And that is the Lord Jesus. And if you're in covenant with God, and you trust and obey, but not perfectly, then the whole of this still in your life, your great comfort is that Jesus on the cross took for you all the judgment that your unbelief and disobedience deserve. I'm talking about Uh, and then it's even better than that. Well, that's good enough. Uh, if you say, well, I don't have any to believe, and I don't have any to obey, uh, life is hard, and I keep failing that. How, how can I ever be a coming deeper? I simply can't understand. I have to be to you as well. There is a person called the Holy Spirit whose job in redemption is to give you a gift of faith, to sustain and you, and to work out in you the obedience to God is requires. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us unbelievers. So that's why this is called a coming grace. It's grace coming and going. It's grace for God to initiate. It's grace for God to enable us to believe in obey, and it's grace for God to take care of the consequences of our unbelief and disobedience. Is that And your little boy is right here with you. This is actually your son. It's you, and it's everybody that you worship with in this room on Sundays. It's all of us. You're in this covenant matrix. That's not a good word, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready to turn it over. Any other questions? Yes. Did you think you could categorize this like full uh, charge as like representing the visible charge and then right side of the charge is more specific to you? Excellent. That is why. Excellent. Do you all have a question? That is why. Yes, I do repeat it. The visible and the invisible church is a distinction that's necessitated by the two sides of the covenant. So let's talk about for a moment Abe and everybody else. So uh, young and uh, the whole congregation. The visible church is all of those people that God in time and space in His good promise, time has brought into covenant relationship with Himself. 
The visible church is everybody. It's the top of God. However, uh, some of them are going to be in a decisive way on this side. They're, they're, they're all going to become public believers. And we think that to God's what? Yes, it's collapsing. So, Um, there is this phenomenon because God's work of election is unfolding in eternity, and we often speak about the invisible church uh, and more or less anonymously than the others. So, as I was learning from, as I was sitting right now in the LGA place, uh, and, I, and I, I was sitting at another kind of person, but also uh, Richard Gaffin. Fathers to the MC. Uh, he, well, he said, Amen. Uh, the covenant, God's purposes in the covenant are broader than only salvation. My Baptist mind was born. And I realized um, I need to recognize that me and is the next step to be in a saving relationship because God intends for other relationships to lead to saving relationships that they always exist. God's purpose of election are for within And this reality, the fact that you are right there with your son or your 
you need to love your kids. That's a tribute to the parents beyond the church, right? You need to love your kids. But as parents, you're even seeking higher than that to convey your children to the problem. Which is a winning and moving thing. How God is answering. To win and move your children through you as you are the masters of them of his So you show the love of my God, the love of the family, in the uh, everyday lives and places of life. Uh, number two, the child of the public child means that you're right to consider them disciples of the Lord Jesus. And they, in some ways, more than even the adult 
The sight of Christ, then, includes the whole creation. It includes the whole family as they're marked out by baptism that are subject to the teaching of the word of Christ. If they're not disciples, I don't know what they want. Given what the Bible says, not discipleship. And what's the significance of this? Well, I think one of the things that marks out covenantal view of parenting uh, in Presbyterian context is that we are mindful that discipleship is something that has to be demonstrated over time. Discipleship is something that our children actually grow deeper and deeper into. And it's not as if we are looking for a moment when our children will suddenly, perhaps, or in a decisive way, become disciples. What we're looking for is that they will be faithful disciples more and more. I'm going to unpack that just a little bit. Uh, let, me, let me pause and, and, and say something about our terminology. So another way of talking about the disciple of Christ is to talk about Christian. Those of you interchangeable. Someone who's a follower of Christ, a Christian, uh, is a disciple. Are the children of Christian parents Christians? That's a terminology question. We need to be careful how we define a term. Uh, sometimes we use the word Christian to refer to an inward spiritual reality of regeneration and faith and of course, we're concerned that young or old people that we're talking about as Christians have the reality of that in their life. Well, well, very sad. Sometimes we'll say, is he really a Christian? We're getting at that fact that Christianity at its heart looks like uh, a new body. And that's the one part of it. We also use the word Christian to refer to more objective realities. Uh, so we'll move into the neighborhood.
accompany the disciple of Christ if certain things are done and you, uh, uh, do, uh, you go through a certain process. What well, we're going to say to our children is, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ by covenant. You're right here with me following the Savior. What that means is that we want you to trust Him. We want you to obey and he wants that to be true of your life. That would be very good. And if I can put it this way, uh, we're looking for something to be organic and usually grow in our children's hearts. They grow into, uh, they grow spiritually into To the church of God that is in court, 
to those sanctified Christ Jesus called to be saints. What this means is a similar class. The word sanctified and saint, same word actually. The word behold is sanctified. He says, to the church of God, those who are set apart in Christ, as God and then he says, all to be something. What he's doing in that whole matter, saying, look, you've been set apart by God in a relationship. And some of you aren't living up to it. Some of you aren't responding to that relationship with the faith of Jesus God. And I'm writing to you that you respond to it. That you would live up to who you are. You heard Pastor to say, that's the only has to be who you are in Christ. You are in common with Christ. So be who you are. Live up to those privileges and responsibilities we have as covenant, in this case, children. Actually, your association with that is our discussion of going to this context of credibility. Uh, some of the heard of Queen Mother. Remember her? The Queen Mother, many, many years back, she was dressing up her royal children to go out. Some of her heard of Queen Mother. Saying to her children, remember, royal children, royal manners. What was she doing? saying, you're not a Christian. You're royal. So live life. Live up to that privilege and responsibility as royal children. And that is the I love uh, that posture of Christian it's saying on the very front end to our children, you are loved by God. You are set apart from the world. You're part of this kind of community called church. You have tremendous privilege. This is what we offer. All privilege. The love of God. And then we summon them to live the way it's
So further questions or on current security possible uh openings to the creative for uh, discussion.